Hello, everybody, and welcome to the podcast, Discover the Hidden Potential of Your Mind. Usually the host is Angelica Baum, and today I will be hosting the podcast. Once again, you may recognize me and my voice from before. I am Dave Anderson, longtime client and friend of Angelica. And today we are going to be diving into a topic that I know a lot of people will be interested in, especially if you're a parent. If you've gone through the process of having a child, uh, this will be extremely relevant for you. We're going to be talking about marriage after having a baby. Um, uh, and Angelica, you know, after you officiated my sister's wedding back in the summertime, which was actually just a few months ago now, um, we talked about doing a podcast on this, you know, what it's like when you, when a couple, they get married, right? They're in that honeymoon phase and it's like, everything seems to be rainbows and butterflies and it's easy and you're so in love and you just had a wedding, possibly a romantic honeymoon. And typically, now this is, you know, the timelines vary, marriage to marriage, every situation is, of course, different. But then comes that time for a lot of couples, they decide they want to start a family, they want to have a baby. And so they go through that process. And uh, then there's a baby. And I think that for a lot of folks, and you know, myself and Jenny now having three kids under the age of seven, we've been through this a few times now. And we've experienced firsthand how the marriage is almost like two separate marriages before having a baby and after having a baby. Um, obviously, there's some similarities. You're still technically the same people. However, it is uh, such a monumental, uh, such a massive transition that it's important to really slow down long enough to be able to figure out how to now almost recreate or at least create a new marriage uh, or sustain a strong marriage after having a baby. And that's obviously what we're here uh, to speak about uh, today. So it sounds like you're, you've got some uh, really powerful ideas on this, Angelica. I'm excited to sort of dive in. Um, what are some of the sort of initially here, some of the things that we need to think about and be mindful of in that, in this transition? Well, first of all, thank you again for doing this. I really appreciate when you're interviewing me and we can have a good dialogue going. Uh, and you're the perfect person to talk about this topic, obviously, <laughs> yeah. with, with your kids being what, six, four and one, right? Yeah. So um, we actually, when we first talked about this, I was a little overwhelmed because it's a vast topic. Mm -hmm so much changes and we could go into so many different directions with this topic uh, but i would suggest let's just focus on marriage when there's the first baby and when there's little ones so really that period because these are the most stressful years for a young couple um and i you know that i do this course for your powerful life partnership to prepare newlyweds um that they can build a solid foundation for their relationship for their marriage for their life and one of the areas I actually assess with them is having children and parenting so there are certain questions that most people don't even uh, ask right so what impact might having children have on your marriage let's talk about this let's talk about expectations um, what challenges or, or changes do you foresee um, what changes do you want to make compared to your own family how you grew up how your parents uh, raised you or disciplined you right what do you want to keep from from childhood or uh, 
what do you see as your responsibilities parenting, right? So all these things that people never talk about. Um, yeah, I mean, you know yourself how challenging it is. And what what do you think of when we're talking about how a relationship has changed or changes when children come into the picture? Yeah, I think the biggest <clears throat> the biggest thing, well, there's actually two two major things that come to mind. Number one is the way that you experience time completely changes because you're used to a lifestyle pre-baby where your time is your time is your own. And certainly you make time for your partner and your relationship, but you've got your work, your professional life, you've got your relationship, you know, and oftentimes you're you're already living. In my case, we were already living together for years prior to having children. And it was just, it was very easy to find time for one another um, because there's lots of it. You go to work and then you hang out <laughs> and, and it's pretty simple and you've got your weekends. And then the moment there's a baby who depends on you for absolutely everything, all of a sudden there's dozens and dozens of hours every week that are, are already spoken for. Like there's going to be a certain block of time where, well, these hours are going to be, you're going to be giving it to your baby. And that means that number one, you don't have time for yourself, forget about your relationship. And you don't have the, the time for your relationship is, de is it decreases substantially. So that's the first subject I'd say would, I'd be interested to hear you speak on is the time. But then second is, well, is the parenting philosophies because you have two people who obviously came from different households came from different parents so you you know generally four different parents between the two you know mom and dad jenny's mom and dad and my mom and dad so you are, you have two different sets of experiences in terms of the way that I was parented, the way that she was parented. And so now we're coming together and we're going to become parents. And oftentimes without even realizing it, you start to learn fairly quickly that your innate parenting philosophies don't necessarily match up and you have to recreate your own parenting philosophies uh, as a new couple who is now parenting. So if we could really get into those topics, the time and the parenting philosophies, I think that's really where a lot of the juice is for the people that are tuning in. Mm -hmm. Yes, for sure. So um, the parenting philosophies, just to start there, maybe, absolutely. And that's what young couples underestimate. They might touch on certain things. They come maybe from a fairly similar background, no huge cultural differences. When you have cross-cultural marriages, it gets even more complicated. Yes. And they, they think, okay, we're going to figure this out. But the it's in the details. There's so many details that need to be worked out with kids. And now is when communication is more important than ever. So if the communication skills were already lacking before, uh, but you could manage without communicating uh, your feelings, your thoughts. Uh, now, communicating, compromising, not making the other one wrong for what they have learned or what they believe in. Um, and like you said so nicely, developing your own 
individual philosophy, setting also boundaries with intrusive family members, right, who want to give advice, (laughs) Uh, and showing up as a team, where you where you can say thank you if a family member or friend has good advice, thank you will think about it, but making very clear that you as the couple are making the decisions. Mm-hmm. So this is where really connection is challenged. I'm always so big on connection. Like when I work with couples, no matter what period in their life and their relationship there I add, I get them connect to connect, make eye contact, touch listen deeply, share properly, feel mm-hmm. each other. So that's where young parents often, and that's where the topic time comes in, experience a disconnect because yes. most of the time is allocated to the children. And children, I mean, small children, of course, demand our attention, rightfully so, right? They need a lot of touch and physical closeness. Um, they're really dependent on us. And then often at the end of the day, it feels there's no energy left for my partner. So um, all this wonderful advice on romantic date nights. And so on this, this is good advice, but we also need to be realistic. You need to find reliable babysitters. That's why I would recommend to a couple to already before they have children, basically, talk about who who could be a reliable babysitter who would be willing to really step up and help us out because family time is important but time together as a couple is also extremely important to keep that connection Mm -hmm. if we put the marriage on autopilot that's where most people fail Um, I think 50% of all young people today can expect that by the time they're 18, they're living in a one-parent household. Because parenting after children, um, relationship after children, when the parents get so much more complicated. Mm. Um, And then also, and that again is, um, I, I do realize this is ideally carving out some time that each, each parent has also time to follow some interests. The three kids under seven, of course, that's out the window. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no time for hobbies. Right? No time yeah. for hobbies. But um, having that as a goal to get there again sooner or later. Um, and how mm-hmm. do we make that happen? Um, I think an important question I hear is from young couples or, or what I hear as an expectation that their marriage will stay the same or get back to normal after a short transition time. And I honestly have to say, no, it will be changed forever. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Your roles change, your identities change, new identities emerge, right? Um, The connection with your partner is tested, but it's also a rebirth of your relationship and you can embrace that. You're in the trenches together and that can be, a space where you grow as a couple. It can also be a space, of course, where lots of challenges come up and Mm -hmm. lots of problems. Something that I'm thinking of right now within the parenting philosophies, and this is maybe where a lot of arguments originate and arguments turn into, I mean, an argument in and of itself is not necessarily a bad thing. You you can work through arguments. You're never going to fully agree with everything and always, you know, arguments are, um, there's a, there's value in arguments. 
But one of the reasons I think they start with once um, a couple has a baby is because you don't realize the number of decisions that need to be made. At every stage of development, there are dozens of decisions. Now, some of these decisions are decisions you make daily, decisions you make weekly, monthly, but then every three months, your baby is in a new stage of development. Maybe there's the way they're sleeping is different. And now you have to make a decision about how you're going to handle that. Are you going to, are you going to hire someone who's going to come and be the sleep trainer? Are you going to do that? Are you going to, are you going to maybe do something completely different and, and co-sleep or sleep with them? There are so many decisions, you know, when your baby gets sick, there's decisions around do you, which doctor do you take them to? Do you, which medications do you give? Right. And now it's like, so what, what, what can be challenging is if the individual partners have different experiences and different filters and different philosophies about each of these little decisions along the way, it can be a real source for disagreement and argument. And keep in mind that when you're now entering into arguments and maybe one person is sleep deprived, now you're you're both exhausted. You're, you've already your fuse is already shorter because you don't have the same time and energy and space that you used to have before you right. So what what advice or what ideas do you have for couples to navigate through the dozens and dozens of very challenging decisions that need to be made through every stage of development for a young child? Yeah, you're absolutely right. The lack of sleep is a huge factor, right? Four out of five primary caretakers uh, express this overwhelming fatigue that they have. And the partner, even if the partner is maybe not the primary one, but the breadwinner, they are also tired. We're all tired. We're irritated. We're short-tempered. Yeah. We're not capable of problem solving very well. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of cutting each other slack, right? And um, then again, the stronger your communication skills are before you get into the situation, the better. Then you can fall back onto habits you already have, where you have a habit to have a caring and sharing time, where you check in with each other. Mm -hmm. uh, lots of uh, new mothers, new fathers um, long to hear some um, positive comments from their partner. They want to be assured that that the good mothers, we're good fathers, we're doing our best, right? Mm. Um, the, the birthing mother, I mean, there could also be two mothers in a family, right? So I'm, I'm trying to be mindful of my uh, wording here. Mm. Um, but the birthing mother might also wonder, am I still attractive after this experience that my body went through? Uh, so getting some feedback from your partner makes a huge difference. It, I mean, the first huge hurdle is already the birth experience itself. Like yeah. uh, in eight out of 10 cases, that experience itself affects the relationship. Mm -hmm. It's a powerful life changing experience. And I mean, I'm sure that's already the case when everything goes as planned, but then when, when problems show up, this is even more so the case. Like, I mean, I know your third one was a preemie, right? So there's, mm -hmm. that was probably a, totally different level of stress so that experience itself needs to be processed that's where it really starts um yeah it, it absolutely is and um 
you know, oftentimes the, as you sort of alluded to, the birth doesn't go, the, you sort of have this vision of what it's going to be like. And maybe that means you're going to the hospital. Maybe that means you're not, yeah, in our case, we had a, a two home births for our first two children. And then the third one was sort of this unexpected situation. And the other thing is that the birth experience is, at least we found to be very different once we already had a child, because now it's not just the birth experience, but now you're involving other children in that so it's how much do you include them like the other based on their stage of development and their age and how much do you include them in the process and if things don't work out the way that you sort of anticipated how does that affect emotionally affect the other children that are um that are sort of in the picture um i guess if you sort of imagine a couple a, a, you know two three months into the experience now they've they've had the baby now they're starting um to to live their life after that uh the 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 delivery and being new parents what would you say are some i guess just some some really healthy practices or some conversations even that might be beneficial in them having to make sure that their marriage continues to stay on a strong foundation and so that they're to give themselves the best chance of not creating a scenario where their child, you know, by the time they turn 18 is in a single parent household. What, what can a young couple do in that situation? Um, Yeah, there's, I mean, many different things really depending on what shows up, right. But it really starts with the expectations, not having unrealistic expectations. Hmm. Okay. When we start out with this expectation that our marriage will both be back to normal um, and we, 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 we have expectations of marriage always being interesting and stimulating and supportive and satisfying and we have ideas of parenthood and we expect that we will turn into these new wonderful versions of mothers and fathers, we, were, we set ourselves up for failure because the more realistic a couple's expectations are the more successful they're going to be at managing all the challenges that come up so now that that means examining my own expectations it means talking to my partner about their expectations and sorting out a lot of things beforehand around how do we want a parent but then you say reality hits and there's all these details that we hadn't even thought of you need to bring respect to the table you need to bring to the table that your way is not necessarily the right way Mm. so that willingness to communicate and to understand where's my partner coming from why is this important to them and from there sorting out compromises um So so really moving beyond right and wrong. I mean, some people can be very rigid with how they expect things to be. And if I want, uh, they're both taking care of the baby or children, uh, they're both taking care of the household to a certain extent, I need to be able to let go of any rigid ideas of how that should happen. Yeah. So, so... (laughs) I think that flexibility is so important, like the willingness to adapt and to maybe because it's important to remember that the um, the ideas that you had about the way things are going to go or the way things should be prior to having a child. Well, all of those ideas were constructed based on theory, right? Based on like, well, you know, your, your imagination sort of plays it out. It's like, well, uh, 
I can kind of imagine what it's like to have a baby and you've seen other people that have babies and you're part of a family and you, maybe you had a baby sister or a baby brother. And you remember what that was like when you were a five-year-old. And like, in my case, I was five when my, my youngest sister was born. I can kind of think back to my childhood and ages six and seven and eight. And then I kind of vaguely remember having a baby around Surely that couldn't have been too challenging for my parents, right? Like you know, <laughs> they seem they seem to handle it pretty well from my recollection. But it's one this is truly one of those things that until you are until you are in the experience, it is very difficult to really know what the best approach is going to be. I know for sure me and Jenny have done things and made decisions and um created solutions differently like if you had asked us about a, a lot of these different things prior to having children the answers we would have given you when we were just a married couple thinking about having kids versus the actual answers and the realities of the situation now having three children there there would be a significant difference in um <laughs> what we would have predicted versus what we actually are practicing yes. um yes. and you have to just experience it. And then I can imagine that there's other issues too, like the prevalence of uh, postpartum depression, for example, is also something that can be a factor. Yeah, um, so, so what about what about more serious issues like that, for example, if there's if if that's happening and beyond the birth? Yeah, I would really like to talk about that because that is again another topic where, as as a newly newly parents, you need to realize you're not alone because eight out of ten um, birthing mothers experience a period of tearfulness and anxiety after mm -hmm. the child uh, shows up, and that can last for several weeks. And these statistics are actually from a book by Rhonda Cruz Norden. She's written this book um, after the baby, so she's researched and brought statistics together. Mm -hmm. Um, but at least, at least, because this is undiagnosed often, a fifth of new mothers experience a clinically diagnosed depression. So that means between 20 and 40% of all women suffer from late onset postpartum depression. And that begins usually like 20 to 40 days after giving birth, can, can actually occur though at any time during the first year. So for the listeners, what does that mean? That means sadness, fatigue, loss of energy, uh, feeling futility, feeling that things are pointless, sexual disinterest, feelings of total inertia sometimes, right? Unfortunately, there's so much pressure on young families and, and young mothers that they should be happy at this time in their life, that they hide behind a smile. Right. And that means they're either diagnosed late or not diagnosed at all. And partners usually feel helpless and unsure of how to support. And many people don't even realize that postpartum depression also exists in men. Hmm. That is a thing. So <laughs> for our listeners who are hearing this, if you or your partner has show signs of depression after giving birth, get help. Don't wait. Hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, that is a very, first of all, I didn't know that really postpartum depression exists in men or that it can. I'm curious about that. Um, and I, the piece around the partner 
feeling helpless and unsure of how to help. I mean, that, that makes sense because in general, that's not going to be any sort of an area that the partners had training or education or any experience on. So now that partner's learning how to be a parent themselves for the first time. And, and then they're trying to figure out, well, how do I support my partner who's experiencing this depression? I'm not, I'm not equipped. I've never been, I don't know anything about this, right? Like, how do I, how do I handle this situation? And then if you add in the layer of, well, the partner may also be experiencing their own um, depression to some degree. I mean, that it really <laughs> adds a lot of different layers that I know sound sort of like doom and gloom. It's a little bit scary to think about a situation like that. Um do you do you have any other best practices or a piece of advice for, let's say for a partner who's is, is supporting someone that's going through that process yeah i think really it starts with realizing we're not alone there is this shame piece right that's the problem yeah, yeah. if if the young mother wouldn't feel ashamed or feel oh i shouldn't be feeling this something must be wrong with me yeah. here's this amazing life experience that i'm having but also those so-called positive happy life experiences go hand in hand with sadness with loss there's something new it's a huge change mm. right it doesn't just happen when the so-called negative things happen or someone mm. dies or i'm losing my job or whatever, it also happens with these often highly anticipated and looked forward to events like getting married, having children. So first of all, realizing this is normal, there's nothing wrong with me at all. Mm. Right? Because um, there's so so many factors here, the hormones, uh, what the whole situation was, uh, how much support there's afterwards. Uh, So really, and the sleep, <laughs> the lack of sleep. The sleep, right? yes. That's not going to help when someone's going through depression and then they're also not getting enough sleep. That's going to... I mean, another, another thing is that not all parents feel an immediate connection with their newborn. Mm, and yeah. they're, they're too. Can you, can you imagine the shame that often comes up around that? Because we have these ideas as mothers or fathers, we should feel that immediately that immediate connection, that loving, yeah. <laughs> amazing connection. But that's also not necessarily the case. Yeah. And then reaching out for help. Um, something I know that we were interested in speaking about, and I think this is really important, before having children, if there is an argument between the couple, it's, no big deal. They can just have the argument and figure that it sorted out and work through it. And there's no one else in the house anyway to observe it or to be affected by it. How does that change when there's now kids involved? Let's say there's an argument that's, you know, between the, between the mom and the dad or the mom and the mom and the dad and the dad. And now there's a, a discussion that's happening. That's maybe more um, intense and negative and in, in tone. What, what counsel do you give for parents in dealing with those sorts of arguments now that there are children in, in the picture as well? Yeah. So conflict resolution skills are more important than ever. Sure. So if before I could maybe mm. avoid conflicts, um, that's not doing conflicts well. And the children can actually learn from how their, cho- their, how their parents handle conflicts, right? So if they observe, oh, okay, there's a disagreement, my parents are upset at each other, but they also can watch how 
we repair again after a conflict, how we connect again, how we compromise, how we resolve something. Mm -hmm. Those are actually really useful skills for kids to learn. That's the stuff they need on the playground and later on in life. Um, that, okay, if, if we disagree or if someone is angry, that's not the end of the world. I can trust we will both put the effort in to connect again, to understand mm -hmm. each other, mm -hmm. right? So there's a lot of great role modeling that can happen if I have the attitude that a conflict is not the problem, it's not the problem, the conflict is not the problem. Yes. But if I don't know what to do, how to resolve it, or 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 that, or if it stays unresolved, if yes. it just if it if it becomes the permanent energy you're feeling in the home is like there's this permanent conflict that doesn't ever get resolved. I, I what I'm what I'm hearing is like that is what well, that ends up spiraling out in different ways. But that is more of the issue for the child in observation is when they see that conflict not getting resolved for a sustained period of time. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, because that, that breeds resentment between the mm -hmm. parents and content, and those are really lethal. The conflict that we have a disagreement is not a problem at all. Yeah, That's life. We cannot always agree. But then what we do with it, that we both trust where we have both feed in in this relationship we're going to work this out mm -hmm. yeah i know from for our, in our situation i know you know it also changes as the as your children get older right because there's an awareness their their awareness is increasing and expanding and so once they develop the language and they understand what you're saying and they hear the words and they they can they can understand to a degree what the disagreement's about um it certainly changes the the environment and the energy as well. I know with our son, who's the oldest, it, you know, he's six and a half now, so he certainly has by far the most like the the heightened awareness, and he's very empathetic and has good social skills, so he picks up on all this stuff. And I know like our, he's certainly witnessed myself and Jenny having disagreements and such, and and we try to, in a way, almost include him in those situations and in the way that we. I don't know. I'd, I'd be curious to hear your feedback on this. So we'll say, because sometimes Brady and Adelaide, our, our daughter, they'll have disagreements and arguments where they're, let's say they're fighting over a toy or something like this, and they start getting heated and, and frustrated. And, and so we, whenever that's happening for me and Jenny and Brady's there, we sort of say, you know, if Brady's, let's say that he's starting to get a little bit upset about it, which is understandable. We say, look, mommy and daddy are having a disagreement, just like you in Adelaide yesterday when you were having a disagreement about your game or your toy, or whatever. It's just like that. And adults, we tell Brady, adults have that same thing happen to them too. And so we're going to work this out now and we're going to, we're going to work through it. And then it's, and then it's going to be okay. And so we let, we allow him to sort of feel that and move through it with us. And then at the end, he sees us hug and kiss and, and, and then, we sort of move on and it's like, and then he sees that, oh, okay, this actually doesn't have to be this like as big a deal because, you know, 20 minutes later, we're hugging and kissing and making dinner together. Like, you know, I'm curious to hear your insights and feedback on sort of that sort of a scenario as it plays out. Yeah. And I would say that is exactly perfect, right? That at least one parent explains and says, this is what's happening, right? 
you don't need to, to worry, we're working it out. And yeah. of course, you can only do that convincingly if you're actually working it if out you, with you your partner. It, yeah. But to see what, I mean, sometimes there's these ideas, oh, we only fight behind closed doors. The kids still feel the energy. They, they feel still, it. they know. But, but they're, yeah. not, they're not able to watch the process and realize that the process is good, it's normal, it's natural of disconnect. Now we need to talk, we need to connect. At the end, we're hugging, we're kissing, we've made up. We're actually closer than before, probably, after that conflict, because conflict actually, when we work through conflicts, it, it brings us closer. That fosters mm. attachment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If I sweep conflicts under the carpet and I become resentful and make passive-aggressive comments, that's a way more challenging climate for kids. Because it's confusing. It's very it's confusing. It's very right? confusing. They don't know how to make sense of it. And it's... kids often make things mean something about them. Right. That is a natural, just from the more egocentric worldview a child has, I must have done something. This must be my fault. It's my fault. It, yeah. Right? So it's really good to let the children know yeah. this is what's happening. And look how we're resolving it. Sure. Um, I know we're coming up to the end of our time here in a few minutes. What can parents do to reconnect and not lose sight of the relationship with each other? If maybe they have felt like there's a bit of a disconnect after having kids and they're going through all these, these feelings and challenges, what can, what can they do to sort of really reconnect and bring things back on track with their relationship? Yeah, you do need to make time to talk. <clears throat> because there's going to be different hurdles. Like in mind, another area we haven't even touched yet is, is uh, how the sex life changes and sure. sexual desire changes, especially for the woman who is maybe breastfeeding, nursing, and then or has another little one hang on her. So there's a lot of um, touch touch already so her 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 touched desire, out she's touched out her desire for more is is usually not that great right yeah. um but we need to distinguish also between the emotional and the sexual intimacy so even if there's no love making or less love making happening for a while stay emotionally connected because we still both everybody needs that Mm -hmm. the, the the mother with the little ones hanging on her all day long still wants the emotional connection and that's your bridge to mm -hmm. to to bridge a, a period where there's maybe less happening um in the bedroom and then reassure each other reassure each other that you're a good mother a good father that does a world makes a world of a difference um what else comes to mind I do think that piece is very, is really important. It's just like when you start a new job, let's say you start a new career, or a new role, you know, what are the, what it's helpful to hear from someone who's you know, working with you, whether it's a colleague, a peer, a supervisor, it's good to know, Hey, you're doing a good job. Hey, this is really good work. Like keep it up. Right. And think of it, you know, the way that I perceive this is when you become a, a parent, you're starting a new job. It's like starting a brand new career. And it's, it's a career that you've never had any training for. Think about it that way. Like you, you've never had any training. You didn't go to school for it. You didn't study it for four years at university or college. And all of a sudden, you're now expected to do this job. Oh, and by the way, it's the most important job you could ever have because you're actually completely responsible for the health and well-being of another human. <laughs> completely. 
it's all on you. Good luck. Right. That's kind of how that's what it is with parenting. And it's a th- it can feel very thankless. Like you're you're just giving and giving and giving and giving and you're not getting anything back. And so I found I've this is something I've slowly but surely gotten better at finding those moments to genuinely acknowledge my partner and say, hey, you're an amazing mom. And, and here's why. And here's what I've noticed. You just like over the weekend, for example, we had Adelaide's fourth birthday and the reality of the situation with I'm sort of working most of the time. Jenny was the one uh, who did most of the organizing of the events. And we had Princess Anna come and there was a lot of logistics. People were invited. Food had to be ordered. All these things, right? Grocery shopping and clean, making sure the house was presentable for the people that were coming. And of course, I I didn't sit around in a lazy boy and, and just expect that all to happen. However, most of the coordination of those logistical events were ended up being on Jenny. And so it was important for me to find a moment um, and just say, hey, it's amazing what you did to put this all together and to organize this party for Adelaide. She had an amazing day. That's all because of what you created. Wow. You know, and just to sort of take that. And it's, it's one of those things I've found that it's really, although it's easy to do that in a, to a degree, like just to say, good job. It's also really easy to not do it because you're, you're busy and you're, everyone's trying to make the best of it. And it's easy to, to skip over it and just to not find that moment for acknowledgement right yeah and often we think our partner knows oh they know they oh yeah she should they, know. She they, they know. know right they know i appreciate them no <laughs> there's no such thing as too many positive affirmations right too many compliments yeah. there just isn't like like with your kids with your kids of course you know how important that element yeah. is of telling them you're pr- i'm proud of you you mm-hmm. did well Th- that feedback well, it's do important. the same. Do yeah. the same for your partner. Yeah. We don't stop being yeah. human and needing that just because we were grown up or we've become parents. In the final moments here, is there anything else that you really just feel? If there's a young couple that's listening to this right now, or watching this, maybe they've just had a baby, they're about to have a baby. If there was sort of one final piece of advice that you'd leave, that you'd be wanting to leave them with, what might that be? I mean, first of all, I'm going to write a blog article, uh, a blog post about this as well, where I will maybe put in some more statistics as well, so you can see you're not alone. There's lots of people struggling with exactly the same things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, for me, it always comes back to connection, connection, connection. Think of ways to connect. Things of Think of ways to communicate. The connection piece, the disconnect is what makes everything challenging. So, and, and cut yourself some slack, just do the best you can with the time you have. Uh, so where can you fit in uh, at least a weekly sharing and caring half an hour mm-hmm. where you talk about things and throughout every day, uh, see where you can get a moment to hug, to uh, physically connect, right? We talked about this uh, coming home exercise the other day in another podcast, how it calms our nervous system when we get to yeah. to connect. Um, find a way to to get some some time in to talk. Um, mm. and just just do your best to embrace this as a period, a new period, 
And it's a period where you can grow together, where you can learn and grow together. Wonderful. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for that conversation. I think uh, that's going to, I mean, it was helpful for me and I know it's going to be helpful for so many other parents who are tuning in. And perhaps even at some point, we might even do a part two, because this is obviously a topic that is, um, it, it's very, it's vast. I mean, there's a lot we could talk about here. And it's also a topic that's almost never ending because the children are continuing to grow and become different people. And there's so many different radically different stages of development like having a baby is completely different than having a six-year-old in my experience this is a completely different experience and that but again it, is completely different from having a teenager and that's different <laughs> from having a 14 year old or a 17 year old or someone who's now going to college i mean you've always different and then what's happening is the parents are changing too it's not just the child like you know it's different you know being a 30 year old is different than being a 50 year old right and so etc this could go on for a long time. So I think there might even be a space for a part two. So thank you, Angelica, for that conversation. Thanks to everyone for tuning in, for being here. And uh, please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, share the podcast. If you can think of someone that you know would benefit from hearing this conversation, absolutely go and share this with them, send them the link. And uh, thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time.